You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. Do you believe all newly procured numbers are equal? That following best practices alone can fix your labeling problem? Or that all reputation management solution providers use the same monitoring and spam prevention processes? This week's unfiltered episode joins Numerical's in-house experts, Natalie LaFerriere and Sarah Blance, as they debunk these common number reputation management myths and more. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. I'm Sarah Blance, the marketing coordinator here at Numerical, and typically I spend my time behind the scenes of Tuesday Talks, but today I am so excited for the opportunity to co-host with our Director of Client Engagement, Natalie LaFerriere. Natalie LaFerriere's 22-year journey in large BPO contact centers took her from a passionate director of operations to a senior director of client services, focusing on dialing strategies and client relationships. As Numerical's director of client engagement, her unique blend of experience and zeal for refining processes has been instrumental in our success. Natalie is not just a leader. She is a driving force for improvement and exceptional service. Welcome back, Natalie. Thank you so much, Sarah. Happy to be back. Here to help me bust some of the common myths and partial truths we hear in the industry all the time. Uh, In fact, many businesses might believe that they have a good handle on managing their call labels and number reputation, but there's a lot of misinformation floating around out there, especially as the market becomes more saturated with these quick, thick solutions that can mislead, honestly, even the most diligent and reputable companies. Uh, Number reputation is such a complex and layered subject, right? It's so easy to get lost, especially when you get into the weeds with these really technical details, which is why I'm so grateful for our engineering and product teams. Um, But when you're considering a solution, a reputation management solution, ideally, the supposed reputation management experts or the partners you're courting should be reliable and knowledgeable, right? They should know their stuff. Uh, But sadly, it can be difficult for us to differentiate a genuine solution from maybe a provider that's just capitalizing on an opportunity for revenue. And with so many companies vying for your trust, it's crucial for businesses to understand number reputation management on a deeper level. And that is our mission here today. Absolutely. I agree with you, Sarah. The complexities of number reputation and really how to best manage that reputation can honestly be really overwhelming. There are so many myths out there floating around, and I'm excited to unravel some of those and hopefully shed some light on the reality. And Natalie, I am so glad you're here with us today. I love working with you, and there's honestly uh, no one no one better for the job. Um, so without further ado, let's dive right in. The first myth we have is a common misconception that it doesn't really matter which reputation management solution provider you sign up with because we all have a standard or similar process that yields similar results, right? So businesses may believe that every provider follows the same protocol and that the outcome or protection against spam labels is equivalent across the board. Natalie, could you help shed some light on that for us? Yeah, for sure. So 
The reality is monitoring and spam prevention processes really, they do vary significantly from one reputation provider to another. Some providers may only perform basic registration, offer on request remediation, and others like numerical incorporate deeper deeper processes into that. So we do our KYC, which is your know your customer verification. That's part of our registration process. And we use our established partnerships with the analytics agents to keep numbers free of spam. So I'll jump back to the KYC comment I made. This is critical. It helps us really confidently represent your numbers. It's the very first step we take with every new client. It's we need to have an established KYC in place. This helps us validate that the entities we're working with are legal entities in good standing and that we're working with enterprises that are following all the TCPA requirements. So then from there, your identity is then loaded into our entity identity platform. And once we have vetted your company through this process, then we can confidently represent your organization, which allows us to register and, and protect your numbers. And there really is a different level of spam protection and remediation that we're able to apply to your numbers. And we do this through proactive remediation process, as needed live monitoring. And so because of that enhanced KYC process that I just touched on, we can then confidently advocate on your behalf live with our carrier partners. And so once our registration and remediation processes are underway, We've actually seen spam labels on all numerical registered phone numbers reduced to less than 0.3%. I'll say that again because it's a really big number, or it's actually a really low number. We've seen the spam labels on all numerical registered phone numbers to lower than 0.3% in total. So that's virtually no spam across the entire carrier network. That, and I think you had it right both times. That's a pretty big number, right? Uh, when you think about it, every time I hear this stat, it blows my mind. Like, and I hear this stat all the time. Obviously, I work here, but <laughs> the success of this businesses in reducing spam labels to an almost non-existent level of less than 0.3%. Incredible, right? And it's I, I think it's a testament to employing the, the power of an end-to-end reputation management solution in one place on one platform versus maybe a piecemeal solution where you can't really get the whole picture very easily. You can't really tell if your strategies are working, et cetera. And so I think I think it makes sense for people to fall for this one, right? Intuitively, you might expect that the procedures are pretty uniform across the board, standard registration processes, identical security protocols and the like. But I think it's crucial to remember that while solutions may appear the same, the execution and results can vary significantly, right? And you you mentioned KYC or know your customer, which everyone knows Numerical is really big on. Uh, in fact, Rebecca played a pivotal role in introducing KYC to the entire telecom space, right? We're just, we're trying to wake people up to this. We've even gone as far to publish a KYC policy guide for service providers um, or model standards that allow for flexibility to meet the needs of various types of providers with different services, right? So really, how can it get any easier? Um, but, I, you know, I'm not so much saying this to highlight the fact that Numerical does have an incredibly secure verification process, but to draw attention to the fact that 
not every provider does, right? And, and that's, that can be scary. <laughs> so drawing a line under this, I think we can confidently assert that myth number one has been thoroughly busted. Uh, it's clear that not every reputation management solution provider aligns in the protocols they follow and services they offer. And to sort of shift gears a little bit here um, for our audience, let's imagine you're a business, not very hard, I imagine. Um, you're doing everything by the book when it comes to number reputation management. You're focused, you're meticulous, and nothing is slipping through the cracks. And then bam, you're hit with a spam label. How is this even possible? I did everything right. I followed the rules. I employed best practices. Who can I call and yell? At about this, like honestly. So the next myth that needs busting um, is, you know, as long as you're on the straight and narrow with your practices, your number reputation will always sparkle and shine. Could you hit us with a little reality check on that one, Natalie? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the reality is quite a bit more complicated than that. But, you know, just applying a formula to your dialing strategy and being guaranteed a spam-free pass just isn't the case any longer. So I would never suggest that you don't follow the best practices. We certainly want to make sure that everybody is following all the best practices. And we speak with customers day in and day out about what those practices are. We'll touch on some of them uh, today. But, you know, even doing everything by the book can't guarantee that you're going to be immune from spam labeling. There are factors that are just beyond the business's control that contributed to how you're being labeled and perceived. So that could be things like you know, the previous owners of the number, carrier level errors, or even complaints made by the recipients and the consumers of the phone call. So I want to touch on that last one a little bit, the complaints. It's really important to understand that you can be doing everything right. And customers still have the right to complain about seeing your phone number. So they can complain by blocking the call just on their device, hitting block, or lab labeling it as spam, depending on the device they have. They can make a public complaint to agencies like the FCC or use a third-party app to make a complaint. And all of those user complaints can all lead to spam labeling because they're all ingested by the analytics partners and factor into their algorithms. So, you know, if you think about that, you can imagine that it could vary greatly by industry. Uh, you could be a debt collector and you could be following all the best practices and have really pristine dialing practices and customers still may not want to see your phone call. So they could still be using their tools, blocking the calls and feeding that information back into the algorithms leading to more spam labels. But you could be a different business entirely in a different industry following the exact same dialing practices as the debt collector. And nobody is offended by seeing the number or the name on the screen. Nobody blocks the call or less people block the call and there's no spam labels. So just following a formula is never going to guarantee that you're going to be free of spam labels because those user complaints are the variable that you don't really have full control over. So adhering to those recommended strategies is super important and is crucial, but it doesn't provide you that absolute shield against that spam labeling. You know, and, and it's really tempting to believe that a clean reputation is as simple as following the rules. I would love to believe that. <laughs> but the reality is so much more intricate, as you said. And this is where solution providers step in, right? The experts managing your reputation. It's so easy to sit back and let the experts take over. After all, that's what we're paying them for, right? Um, but I think understanding 
even at a high level, what goes into your collar reputation is important for businesses, not only to protect their brand identity, right? But to also be able to determine if the solution provider that they chose is even adequate for the job, right? Uh, And you mentioned complaints, which I don't think are always factored into the equation when we're thinking about number reputation. You know, it can be difficult because businesses don't have full control over complaints that they receive, and they may not always be legitimate. Like you said, there's really no way to remediate those, especially with the FCC. So that's, you know, another reason why it's so important to stay proactive. And again, uh, partner with someone who can offer you insight and guidance on those kinds of things. So I'd like to shift gears just a little bit and talk about phone numbers, specifically the belief that all newly procured phone numbers are equal. So scenario, I just bought all of these beautiful new numbers because my entity identity is ringing through as spam um, when really I'm a legitimate business and all I want to do is reach my customers with an urgent message. So all newly acquired phone numbers start from the same point, right? So I have a clean slate. My number should be clean right off the bat. The assumption here is that since uh, the number is new to your business, it carries no prior history and therefore cannot be mislabeled. I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, and Sarah, that is another really common misconception. You know, but phone numbers really do have a history attached to them. So if a number was previously owned by a client who maybe misused the line, had poor reputation overall, that baggage is actually could be passed on to the new owner if the number hasn't been properly rested and reset. So even though the number is new to your business, it may have already been flagged as spam or blocked by um, certain databases. So it's really essential for businesses to work with a reputable carrier who is going to vet the new numbers thoroughly before distributing them. And there's a couple of things that I always suggest to our clients when they're procuring new numbers that they ask for the for from the carrier. So the first thing is that you're going to want to ask is you're going to want to ask for numbers that have had the CNAM database updated. Obviously, that sounds pretty straightforward, but you wouldn't want to be procuring new numbers and think that that's already done. And then you start dialing on that number and then you start hearing complaints that it's an entirely different business's name that's showing up on the call display. So step one, just make sure that the CNAM has been updated. And the second thing you're going to want to make sure is that the number has rested and in between clients. You don't want a number that somebody else was using a week ago or a month ago. Really, you want that number to have rested for at least three In my books, preferably six months, but I know three is a little bit more standard. So um, just make sure that you're asking your carrier for that. And and just always keep in mind in the realm of reputation management, what's happened in the past on your phone number is equally as important as what you're doing right now or what you're going to be doing in the future. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, this... uh... This kind of threw me when I learned about it, uh, number baggage, mostly because, you know, I'd never really thought about it, right? Number baggage is a real thing. So real that our brand and content manager, Mary Gonzalez, wrote an excellent blog article uh, that I'll link in when we publish this uh, episode. If you want to check it out, numerical.com, just uh, go to our insights blog. But um, if a business inherits a number, it sounds so silly that I wouldn't have thought of this. 
If it inherits a number that has previously been misused or mishandled, leading to a poor reputation, that tarnished reputation could very well stick with the new owner, you know? And of course there's more to it than that, uh, which is why you should check out our blog. But, uh, you know, I'm not really sure businesses are, again, really thinking about that. So thank you so much for sharing that insight. Um, in the same realm of new numbers and number baggage are number rotation practices. This tactic uh, seems really popular. It's frequently used by businesses that make a ton of outbound calls as a way to sort of enhance their lead engagement and avoid spam labels. And there are um, sort of two assumptions here um, that if, if frequently changing numbers can help businesses avoid calling wrong or stale numbers, and the rotation supposedly outsmarts AI systems by making it seem like calls aren't coming from the same place, thereby avoiding the being labeled as spam. So is there any truth to this one? Yeah, Sarah, this one's really prevalent right now. We're hearing a lot uh, on this topic. And just like some of the other myths that we've been speaking of, with the advancement of AI, we're seeing some pretty major shifts in how numbers are being labeled. So historically, the analytics engines might have had a certain threshold that a business would stay under. So companies would use that threshold to identify how many lines they needed, and they might reach a threshold, move on to the next number, reach a threshold and move on to the next. But we're seeing now that the AI is smarter than this, and the analytics engines know a lot more than you think. So they can see things like what's being said in the automated messages or the introductions of your calls. So they're not just looking at one phone number that you're dialing from, but they're, if they see that same behavior and those same messages on multiple phone numbers that you're calling from, they can actually apply that same label without you even making many phone calls. So what you think might be actually helping you by you know not hitting a threshold and moving on to new numbers, can actually be hurting you because they pick up on those patterns. So you're really not circumventing the algorithm anymore by purchasing a bunch of those phone numbers. And as AI evolves, those practices kind of are perceived as attempts to evade spam detection. And that will lead to your numbers being labeled even quicker, unfortunately. Uh, so the takeaway here, <laughs> Uh, is it's crucial, I feel like every time I do this, I learn something new. <laughs> it's crucial to understand and adapt, right? Understand and adapt rather than rely on your outdated strategies that could backfire. And as so AI, we're all talking about it. The scope is broadening. It's not just about volume anymore. It's about patterns, it's about behavior, and even you said the content of the messages, they know <laughs> they can hear us. Um, so we're we're learning that trying to cheat the system with number rotation could lead to more harm than good. And um, speaking of thresholds, let's talk about dialing thresholds a little bit and break down our fifth reputation management myth, that staying under a certain threshold of dials per phone line prevents spam labeling. Does, does maintaining a safe volume of calls truly keep businesses from spam flags? Well, it's a common thought, quite honestly. <laughs> it was something that I was a huge advocate of until more recently. So uh, I had always been pretty strict on recommending a certain threshold. Never, never surpass that threshold. You'll get into that high volume dialer bucket. But 
as we're learning and as the AI learns, that kind of major belief has become just honestly less true. <laughs> so what we're seeing now is so rather than focusing solely on the total volume of dials, those spam detection systems are looking at what they are describing as standard deviation. So how much is your business calling pattern deviating from the usual pattern on that phone line? And is there a sudden spike in volume, even if the total of number of calls isn't high? And that can be seen as a red flag. So I'm going to repeat that one because it's important. The analytics engines are not looking at just the total volume that you're hitting. They're paying more attention to what's happening on that line and that standard deviation and those patterns that they're seeing. So they're looking for consistent patterns. So I'll give an example. If you're dialing that's an average or around 100 dials per day, Monday through Friday, all of a sudden, one Friday, you want to blast out a message and you call a thousand people on that line. Well, the spam detection systems will pick up on that and go, that's not normal. And that can lead to spam labels on that phone number. But you could be dialing a thousand dials every single day and, and never get labeled. So they're looking at the pattern and what's consistent for that phone number. And that kind of goes back to the last myth that we debunked about number rotation. So many people, you know, try to keep some idle phone lines so that then when they've hit a threshold, they can move on to another line that's idle and start dialing on that line. Well, that those practices, on top of not working because they can kind of pay attention to what's being said and they see that you're doing that, but it also doesn't work because that new line doesn't have a history associated with it. There's no pattern. So you're going to start dialing on a line, put out a thousand dials a day, and that's likely going to tr trigger the algorithm because there's no history and established pattern on that phone number. So that sort of spike in volume that they're seeing will trigger the algorithm. So, you know, I don't recommend going crazy and putting a hundred thousand dials on any line, but the old rules are a little outdated and really don't apply as much as they once did around the number threshold. So you're not gonna be guaranteed a spam free pass if you stay under a certain number of dials per month per phone line. Um, you know, so, and if you're bringing in new numbers into your fold, that's totally fine, but you're gonna wanna take a few weeks to establish patterns on those lines. So it's super important that before you dial on those lines, work with a reputation management provider, make sure the numbers are registered and protected. And then we can see things like as soon as you start dialing, if something does pop up, we can work live with the analytics partner and make sure that they know that you've brought in some new numbers and make sure that those numbers are, are, are clear on their end as well. So whatever is happening in terms of your total dials, it's super important to know that it's not just that that they're looking at. It's the patterns. It's keeping an established history, keeping your phone lines and not jumping through them and keeping all those numbers, number of dials consistent day over day. It doesn't need to be seven days a week, but if you're dialing five days a week, just whatever those patterns are, making sure that they're established and that they're consistent. Well said. And I'll say it again for you. Businesses <laughs> need to pay close attention to their calling strategies focusing on maintaining a consistent pattern rather than trying to just keep call volumes within an acceptable range. Um, and I think the use of AI, oh, this is, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this, I know. Uh, but in the use of AI in these processes is so intriguing to me, right? The subtleties of the patterns that are affecting your call reputation is highlighting the need for increased awareness, right? And strategic adjustments from businesses, which means 
they need to be paying attention or they need to have a trustworthy provider paying attention for them, right? Accuracy, consistency, and maintaining a norm seem to play a larger role now than ever before. So it's pretty eye-opening, you know, even with good intentions, strategies like number rotation may inadvertently raise a red flag, you know, especially in the face of these advanced algorithms. Like considerable consistent dials may not necessarily trigger spam tags, but let's remember, as you mentioned, there are still uh, reasonable limits to consider. So excellent points made all around, Natalie. Uh, let's move on to, yes, we, let's move on to another frequently misunderstood concept, myth number six. It doesn't matter how old my leads list is, right? If I follow the rules, I don't get tagged. So Natalie, what's your take on that? How much weight does this claim really carry? Well, this is something we actually hear back from our analytic partners on often, that the quality of the lead list appears to be outdated. And, you know, I first saw that and thought, oh, how do they know? You know, <laughs> how do they know if the customer's calling on an outdated or stale list? Well, they can see it through things like the number of telco advisories, numbers that are not in service, uh, dead air calls, and wrong numbers. So they see those patterns, and that would tell them that you're likely telemarketing on an outdated lead list, which will again factor into the algorithms and lead to higher instances of spam. And also, when you're calling on these outdated lists, you're def aside from what the end, what the algorithms are seeing from the lead list perspective, you're also going to generate more user complaints. If you're calling wrong numbers, you know, th the people are going to complain about seeing the number that they don't recognize, and that's going to play a role and factor right back into the algorithm. Totally. And you, so keeping your leads list fresh is, <laughs> it's not just a good to have, right? It's a must have, right? Think about it. An updated list significantly reduces your chances of calls being tagged as spam, plus it ensures your messages are actually getting to the right people. Um, so doing so isn't, you know, it's not just great for optimizing how you're distributing your resources because no one likes a wasted phone call, right? But it also makes your customers experience with you a whole lot better. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we all want. Um, so this renewed focus, does this renewed focus uh, on leads list quality speak to the whole story? Um, I'm sure it does not. This brings us to myth number seven, do local numbers perform better than toll free? You know, one might think that we'd be more likely to answer a call or engage with a local number. Um, do you find that to be true in your experience? Well, there are many tactics like this that contact centers can use to try to encourage customers to pick up the phone. Um, but consumer behavior is evolving. So it's important to know that what worked last year or even last month might not be working today. So if you were increasing your pickup rates and noticing that by using a local DID was the most effective way, that's not necessarily the case any longer. And there is historical evidence that supported that strategy, but consumers are now less likely to trust that local DID. Consumers are aware, they see it. You can probably empathize. If you have to receive a call on your phone and you see that it's somebody trying to mimic your phone number, you're probably more likely to go, oh, it's probably a spammer, I'm not gonna pick that up. But if the number is from someone you know and you trust, you're more likely to answer the call. So what might've helped you increase pickup rates a few years ago might actually be hurting you today. So we found that that was the case with the local DID and it doesn't really consistently result in higher contact rates over using a toll-free number. 
Totally. And you mentioned just thinking about, you know, from our own experiences, uh, when I see a call coming from a number, I live in Chicago. I've lived in Chicago for 12 years. I never updated my number. I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I've had a 717 area code. Um, but obviously I'm more inclined to assume that if I'm receiving a, a telephone call from a 717 area code, telemarketing, going to ignore it, going to block it. Um, but I think it's a testament to how rapidly customer preferences and expectations are changing and businesses, among all the other things that they have to be thinking about, um, you know, they have to be thinking about their strategy to stay successful in their communication efforts in this aspect too. There are just so many details to think about it. So myth busted, the alleged advantage of local DIDs over toll-free numbers and influencing contact rates does not hold uniformly true anymore. Um, so, Let's move on to, okay, we have three minutes. We can do this. Myth number eight. I have total control over my reputation score. You know, this is really, this is a popular one. Uh, the assumption here is that businesses have total control over their score. You know, while it, there is a significant role played by businesses in influencing their score, the idea that they wield absolute control doesn't really reflect the intricate realities associated with reputation management. So Natalie, would you mind expanding on that one a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And I'll try to make this brief, although this is a really important one, but um, you know, you'll hear from everything we've talked about today that it's just not true. Businesses can influence their reputation score. And honestly, they have the most control by following all of the best practices and the best guidelines. But there are certain elements that are just not always within a business's control. So I'll reiterate a couple of them. And we've touched on most of them. But uh, the first one is that the scoring system varies. So across the analytics engines, they all have their own proprietary algorithms. So what you're doing that keeps you out of spam jail with one may not be working with, with another. So that's going to make it pretty difficult to go, hey, if I just follow this pattern, I'm going to stay, you know, free of, of getting any spam labels. Well, unfortunately, you know, the analytics partner over here has a different set of thresholds and we don't necessarily know what all those thresholds are, but you do, we do know that they're different across the carriers and there's no standardization. So that's super important to remember. Um, and then I touched on this one, but those thresholds are not known. So businesses don't have really clear information of exactly what thresholds determine what score. So we have a vague idea and you may know that if you place, you know, an extraordinarily high amount of numbers on a line, you're likely going to get spam labeled, but we don't have those exact thresholds. And if we did, it would obviously be much simpler. And the next thing to remember is that the algorithms are dynamic. So the algorithms that are used to calculate if you're going to you know, be in this category or this category, they're changing. So even if you did have a rule book and you knew everything that was going to work for you, it might work today, but it honestly, it might not work tomorrow. So the reality is there really isn't a rule book and that lack of clear rules can really be confusing. Uh, I completely get that. But follow all the best practices, but always just keep in mind that even if you do follow all those rules of the game, you still may not be completely clear from spam labels. 
Gosh, Natalie, of course, I have so much more I want to say, but we are at the two or three thirty mark, and um, it's time to go, unfortunately. So, thank you so much for being here with us, Natalie. I've had so much fun taking or talking reputation management with you, and I can't wait to do this again. Um, thank you all for joining us. We will be back live in two weeks on Tuesday, October seventeenth, with Numerical's Chief Product Officer Anise Jaffer and special co-host Ed Olepa, Senior. Contact Center business analyst at Rocket Central, and they'll be talking about branded calling, what works and what doesn't. And I know we've all been talking about this. You're not going to want to miss this one. So thank you again for joining us today, and we will see you next time. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks. Our next live episode on Tuesday, October 17th, will be co-hosted by Numerical's Chief Product Officer, Anise Jaffer, and Ed Olepa, Senior Call Center Business Analyst at Rocket Central. They will be addressing misconceptions, discussing effective strategies, and exploring the impact of branded calling on contact rates with insights from Rocket Central. So join us in our mission to promote transparency and collaboration to return trust to communications. Simply click the link to register and join us at the live show, invite a friend, and be sure to submit a question you'd like to have answered live.